Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The right here, right now, there is no other place I want to be. Addition. As the Bengals look to capitalize on a six-game stretch of their schedule in which four of the games are against teams with a combined record of 9-28. and 28. Washington, the Giants, the Cowboys, and the Texans. Coming up, Dave Lapham joins me to discuss how the Bengals are handling positive COVID tests among players and coaches, and the teeter-totter that A.J. Green and T. Higgins have been on. My one-on-one player interview is with Mike Daniels, and we'll find out if he agrees with my prediction that he is headed toward a highly successful career in broadcasting when his playing days are finished. And in our Know the Foe segment, I'll ask Washington radio voice Bram Weinstein if he ever slips and accidentally says, Redskins. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since none. During the pandemic, we've tried to support local restaurants by getting takeout once or twice a week, including occasional trips to our favorite Indian restaurant. I'm a big fan of Indian food, and for me... The best part of the meal is the naan, the oven-baked flatbread. There used to be an Indian restaurant in town that served a nonwich, a sandwich on naan that might have been the greatest sandwich in history. So, if you are a restaurateur in the Cincinnati area, put a nonwich on your menu and I will beat a path to your door. Now, let's get to my conversation with Dave Lapham. Lap, it's been a turbulent week and a half for the Bengals, largely due to COVID-19. They did not have Fred Johnson last week. They did not have Marcus Hunt last week. They did not have several of their coaches, including four, uh, that they thought they would have until game day. Yeah, It's tough to overcome. It is. I mean, you know, they're, they're flying out to Pittsburgh. Coach takes off his mask to eat. You know, they have their masks on even when they fly. Uh, Duffner sitting across from him and a uh, linebacker coach sitting behind him. And both those guys are contact traced. And, I mean, <laughs> they're woken up like in the wee hours in the morning to tell tell them, you know, we've got a situation here. You guys are part of contact tracing. Stay in your rooms, quarantine until further notice. And then earlier, uh, a few hours later, they're told, Get rental cars. Al Golden and Mark Duffner have to get rental cars, one each, drive back separately to Cincinnati. Crazy. And, and Dan, when you have guys that were you know, as experienced as these guys, head coaches, both have been former head coaches, during the course of a game, I mean, their eyes, experienced eyes are valuable. They're experienced, uh, you know, just having all the experiences of being a head coach as well as coordinator and position coach and everything else for all those years. When you're making adjustments and adjustments to adjustments as that game goes on, that that's a factor, you know. And and players like to come off the field and, and ha- have the same coach that they're speaking to when they come off the field, and all that changes. Am I saying that's the reason that Pittsburgh thumped them? Hell no. I mean, they didn't do anything right. There's no any one of the three phases. Nobody in any of the three phases stepped up and played modicum of a of a game that would have uh, you know been worthy of a victory in Pittsburgh, but. All of these things are facts, and it certainly didn't help the cause, I can tell you that for sure. 
because of the positive tests coming out of the bye, nothing has been normal since. Their meetings have all been virtual. Yep. Their practices have been disjointed. They've been wearing masks at practice. It's unprecedented. Teams have never gone through anything like this before. Let's hear from Von Bell about the Bengals trying to deal with these COVID issues. Man, we're in a weird time. Um, and, and you never know how can you get the virus or whatnot. And it's like, it's weird. Um, but um, when you get close contact, they track they track it with those tracers. And and um, so you could be next to somebody for five minutes and they got you in close contact and you could be knocked out. And it's always the next play, next man up mentality. It's like, man, then it affects the whole group because of, you know, we're not getting that time together where we can spend the means and really break down of how can we do this and get detailed and what can we do in the game because uh, it's all on Zoom and you're not getting enough, enough reps sometimes. And um, it, it's just crazy, man. So, you know, you just got to find a way because uh, nobody cares about that. Uh, like my old coach used to tell me, man, 90% of the world don't care about your problems. 10% care that you got them. And uh, we just got to figure out how to produce on Sunday. And then that's the, uh, that's the, that's the end of it. And uh, we just got to find a way. Let's talk specifically about Zoom meetings. Everybody in just about every walk of life is doing them these days. Yep. But when it comes to a game plan and a, a team football setting, how much do you think they're missing by not being in a room discussing exactly what they're going to do against the next opponent? Well, I mean, you know, you can, you can um, still follow the grease board in a Zoom with the coach up there at the grease board. You can watch tape you know, on Zoom uh, with a coach, it's, you know, the meetings, that's the big thing to me is when they go out on the field, like you said, they go out in shifts. So the offense will come in and the offense will go out for a walkthrough. They'll leave. Defense comes in. Defense goes out for a walkthrough. They leave. Then they all reconvene a few hours later for a practice. And uh, so, and and right now they're in the, the, the stiffest protocols possible because they've had positive tests. So that's the that's the stiffest scenario schedule-wise that you can go through. Pittsburgh was going through it. That's why with Ben not practicing or, you know, he, he had treatment. That's all he was going to do anyway. And he went out and played well. I'm going to not take credit away from for doing that, but I think that whole thing was overrated. He couldn't have done any more than he did anyway. COVID or no COVID. And he's in his 17th year. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no – that was no uh, – that was – Everybody's like, oh, my gosh, it's just unbelievable. Ben didn't practice. Ben hasn't practiced a bunch of weeks <laughs> during the course of his 17-year career and then got out and played on game day. That's right. Not- he said uh, so, so many times he just stands behind yeah, watching the other absolutely. quarterbacks, and that's helpful, Yeah, but getting it's Ben. Reps. Yeah, he's getting mental reps, yeah. you know. And, uh, you know, the bottom line was, in my opinion, after watching it again, the Bengals played zone. Every time, you know, Pittsburgh went jet sweep motion guys, Nobody went with them, so they knew right away they were playing zone defense. And they're just playing soft. I mean, forget cushion. They were giving counties up. It wasn't just cushion. And part of that is fear of getting beaten. You know, I, I remember coaches many times pushing the defensive backs in practice. Get up there. Get up there. I don't want you giving an eight-yard cushion. I'm talking like four yards. What are you doing? Well, your natural instinct when you think that you've got a guy that's a good receiver and Pittsburgh had three of them and the defensive backs that were playing a corner weren't necessarily all starting corners, your tendency is to back up. I remember one time 
<laughs> in an all-star game, we had a cornerback that was getting torched by this wide receiver who's damn good on the other team, obviously, going to a big Division One school. The kid lined up from the, the – they have the ball at the eight-yard line. The receiver lines up. Our defensive back's two yards in the end zone. I mean, he's giving him 10 <laughs> yards because he's so scared. It's like – there's no field for him to run behind you. What are you doing? But he's, you, your natural reaction is to back up. And that's what the Bengals were doing in the secondary. When I watched this, like, oh, my gosh. Uh, they just basically didn't, didn't really feel like I can, I can make plays here. I got all the confidence in the world. I mean, they were, they were playing defensive defense. <laughs> I mean, they, they, weren't, they weren't playing offensive defense. I can tell you that. They weren't aggressive. They were very, very not aggressive in their posture, and Ben took full advantage of it. But, yeah, it's – it's it's crazy crazy times. There's no other way to put it. It's whatever can Murphy's law is 2020 with COVID-19. Whatever can happen will happen, and you better be ready for all of it. And you know, Zach mentioned uh, earlier today uh, on Zoom conference calls that uh, press conferences that you know during training camp they had all these things in place. If this guy goes down, this guy's taking it. And every team had to do that. Uh, you have to go all the way through your coaching staff and have plan B, C, D, all the way to Z. Yeah, it's one thing to make a plan. It's another thing to actually have, have to do it, to yeah, do it no with doubt. a guy that's never done that job before. I also wonder about the state of anxiety uh, because of the positive tests and all the things that have happened over the last nine or ten days we get tested once a week mm-hmm. as NFL Tier 3 employees. So we go to Paul Brown Stadium. There's a trailer outside. You go into the trailer. You get your test. You leave immediately. And then sometime overnight, you get an email that uh, your results are in. You go to this website. You check the website. And you get your result. And I've had no symptoms. I feel great. Nobody in my immediate family has tested positive. And yet, there's always a tiny bit of anxiety for me. When I click that link, just to know for sure that I'm not positive. Yeah, I mean it's it's unfortunately it's a fact of COVID life. You know, it's it's the uncertainty is what you're dealing with, and it is it's an unusual time. And as said from the very beginning of this, the the, the teams and the uh, coaches and players that can pivot the best and avoid uh, over infection. <laughs> of COVID-19 are the ones that are going to going to survive and advance. It's a it's a it's a much different ball game, there's no doubt. Last week's loss in Pittsburgh wasn't a good day for anybody, but it was a particularly tough day for AJ Green. He was targeted 5 times in that game and did not have a single catch. Here's head coach Zach Taylor on the status of AJ Green. We have a really deep receiving core and so um it's a benefit for the quarterback where he doesn't have to be dialed in to just trying to get a ball to somebody. Um, he can just throw to the open man. And, and uh, you know, so again, it's just, it's part of the way it goes. I, I've kind of predicted that this could happen for a couple of guys as the season goes where um, a guy has eight catches one game and has zero the next game, you know? And so again, we, we just are careful not to overreact to that. AJ Green did have eight catches in one game, the Indianapolis game, eight catches for 96 yards, came back the next week, had seven catches, and a very solid game against the Cleveland Browns, but really, that's been it yeah. this year. Yeah, it's still still kind of a work in progress. The one thing I will say is he's drawn the number one corner again. You know, I mean, he was he was matched up in that scenario. So, uh, like we said before, he used to draw the number one as well as tilting a safety over there. That's not happening as much. I think they uh, paid a lot of attention to Tyler Boyd, and as a, as a result, T. Higgins benefited. So. There's a trickle down, you know, trickle up, trickle down. When you have three good ones, 
you know, you can't double all of them. Somebody's going to have the day. Who do they? Who are they going to uh, try to take out of the game? And who are they going to try to uh, see who can they might be able to handle more one on one? They do feel like most teams do feel like putting their number one corner on AJ eliminates them, and then they can play accordingly coverage wise with the other guys. So until AJ starts. Uh, you know, ramping it up a little bit in terms of production and and, uh, and makes people change their mind. Uh, it, it is good to get that number one corner uh, removed <laughs> from the process, but like to see A.J. break out of it. Do you think he's lost a half a step because he's 32 or because he missed the last year and a half? I think it's both. I think it's a, the, the double whammy. You know, when you lose, when you're when you're off the field and out of the game for that long a time frame, and you're also hitting that magic year of 30, and you know, getting into those into those early adult years as such, um, it's it's hard. So I, I think it is a combination, and it's a it's a, a combination you don't want to have to experience. And I think he's going through the the process now of having experienced it and trying to come out the other end. On the flip side, T. Higgins had the best game of his NFL career, at least in terms of catches. He had a career high seven grabs. Targeted nine times, finished with 115 receiving yards, including a touchdown. Let's hear from Tyler Boyd on his rookie teammate, T. Higgins. He really can be a very special player in this league. You know, he just he just got to uh, be more detailed in, in, in a few things. I mean, that's something all rookies have to work on. But um, I think I think he's hitting in the right direction so far. So the, 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 the sky is the limit for him. We were told before this draft that it might be the best wide receiver crop in history. Man, it looks like they got that right because most of the guys that were selected in the first two rounds are having fantastic rookie years. Yeah, they really are. And and uh, T. Higgins, I think Tyler Boyd hit it on the head, you know, a little more attention to detail. First play of the game, penalty. A little bit later in the game, fumble. And that stunned T. Higgins. I mean, he, he does not fumble. He hadn't fumbled in a while. And he was like, oof. But he got over it. You know, the thing is, he had the penalty and had the fumble. Two things you don't want to do. You don't want to cost your team yards. You don't want to cost your team the football. And what did he do? Responded to the adversity. Made plays. You know, it's good to see him have that mental toughness to, you know, absorb uh, when it's not going well, compartmentalize, move on, and, and play. And he played well. So a lot of positives there. Eliminate those couple of negatives, and you'd have a <laughs> as good a game as you can possibly have. He's on a pace to have more than 1,000 receiving yards his rookie year. Tyler Boyd, his success obviously speaks for itself. He's got 60 catches this season for that third spot. Obviously, A.J.'s still the guy for now, but do the Bengals have to consider rotating Auden Tate in more frequently or Mike Thomas in that spot? I don't know. I don't think it's to that point yet. Um, but it, it, you know, I mean, at, at some point in time, it's a meritocracy, you know, and, and I think AJ's as acutely aware of that as anybody. The Bengals are one of six teams in the NFL that have three different guys with 500 scrimmage yards or more. AJ is automatic in that, in that num- in that roll call. Not this year. It's, it's Mixon still and Boyd and Higgins and, uh, AJ Green doesn't even have 400 yards, you know, of scrimmage yards, just barely over 300. So his, uh, He's he's at a different place on the totem pole, but um, you know I'd love to love to see him have a breakout game uh, when when it's least expected. I'd like to see it happen more than once. I'd love to see it happen against one of the division opponents to the left, Pittsburgh and Baltimore, because he's had those kind of games against them before. Twenty-nine-year-old Quentin Spain was picked up a few weeks ago. 
after being let go by the Buffalo Bills, and he certainly had an interesting first two games as a member of the Bengals. After joining the team on a Friday, he wound up playing most of the game in the victory over the Tennessee Titans. And then this past week, due to the absences of Bobby Hart and Fred Johnson, the Bengals' top two options at right tackle, he had to play that position, really, for the first time in an NFL game. He'd played a handful of snaps, but nothing significant until last week, and he played extremely well. Here's Michael Jordan on his new teammate, Quentin Spain. It doesn't even compare how how impressed I am. I mean, oh my goodness, for him to... So I, I was supposed to play against the Titans, and I went down sick with colitis. And, you know, he just got there what there had to be three days. Three days, and he comes in, and he has a hell of a game. I was like, this guy is the real deal. I need to learn as much as possible from him. So I'm truly impressed by him and his uh, experience as a veteran offensive lineman in the NFL. What was more impressive, uh, coming in and playing in two days? going out and playing right tackle they're both impressive honestly and i thought he did a tremendous job at right tackle as well quentin spain he he knows he knows uh defenses he knows you know uh, the playbook and he knows how to react to different defenses and what they're doing so he's, he's just an impressive guy all around how well did he do at right tackle very well i mean watt is legit and a couple of times he buckled him. I mean, he 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 covered him up and did a good job. Now, you know, a couple of sacks that Watt got, uh, one of them was on a twist, uh, a TE twist, t- tackle penetrated. Redmond stayed on the tackle a little bit too long when he handed him off to Spain and Watt being so quick, Redmond couldn't react back inside. So that doesn't go as, as a downgrade to Spain because he was blocking the tackle that he ended up having to block. And, uh, you know, the other sack that Watt was involved with uh, is, is – Joe Burrow was climbing the pocket. He kind of collided with Trey Hopkins a little bit and held on to the ball probably a little bit too longer than than would have liked. And uh, eventually Watt got a piece of that action. But, I mean, Spain, to me, this is the most unusual and incredible storyline an offensive lineman's ever had here in this franchise. They come off the street and in three days, Friday, Saturday, play on Sunday <laughs> – have a walkthrough on Saturday in a coach's office with other coaches and other players in the offensive line tells me that what he's got, Dan, is he's got the feel for the game. He's got instincts. He sees the big picture. I mean the total picture, the, <laughs> the picture window. It's not, it's not a little porthole. He sees it all. And Willie Anderson was like that. Willie saw the game, you know, and a lot of guys. In, in Spain, Spain has that, has that ability um, and Adenogy as well. I mean, he's, he's playing next to Adenogy in, in the Tennessee game, and then the bye week, and then he's a bookend tackle with Adenogy. And as Dennis Green said, they were who we thought they were, and we let him off the hook. Adenogy <laughs> is who I thought he was. And once he actually got a chance to go in a game and play without any preseason games, he's who I thought he was. Adenogy has done a good job at left tackle. And if Jonah Williams could have, if he could have played instead of just being an emergency guy, Adenogy would have been the right tackle. Jonah would have been the left tackle. But Adenogy stayed at left tackle, and they said, ask Spain. He's like, let's go. And I thought Adenogy acquitted himself well with Dupree, and uh, I thought that uh, Spain did well with Watt as well.
Michael Jordan's the left guard. Alex Redman is the right guard. Do you see those two guys holding off Quentin Spain for a starting spot the rest of the way this year? That's a that's a great question. I, what I would do, and you know, I'm I'm a believer in if you have shown you can play, play him some. Rotate him in. Why not play all three of them? Just rotate every every series. You know, two two guys play, one sits. Then just rotate them. Rotate them every series in there. Because at some point, somebody's going to go down again, whether it's COVID-19 injury or whatever. And it's like we talked about before. Major League Baseball, you have a utility guy. You don't sit him and then, you know, for like 25, 30 games and then expect him to come right off the bench and be the guy that he you know normally is. You have to let him – you have to let him still go out there and, and perform. So I think there might be in that situation uh, in a couple of categories. I mean, to my, in my mind, when Bobby Hart's back and, you know, and Jonah's back, identity, rotate them, rotate those three. I, I have no problem. If there are seven or eight linemen that can play, let them play. We know the Bengals are patient with coaches, to say the least. And this is only year two for Zach Taylor. But at some point, every coach needs to win games. And so far, Zach's record is 4-20-1. and one. Well, he's going to have some opportunity to add some wins to that ledger in the weeks to come because three of the next four games are against three of the lousiest teams in the NFL so far this season. Washington this week, 2-7. and seven. Then the Giants, 3-7. and seven. A couple of weeks after that, Dallas currently two and seven. Houston is still on the schedule this year. The Texans are two and seven. Here's Von Bell on facing some of the weaker teams in the NFL. We don't even look at the record, you know. We always think about the next game because it's the, it's the biggest game, and um, we just try to build upon and keep on getting better each and every week, and just try to stack wins. And that's the end of the day. That's all we come to do at work every day. So we don't look at the record. We just go into work every day and just getting better. All right, so that's what they say. That's what they always say. But you played the game for 12 years as a pro. How much does a team's record going into the game affect your mindset? Well, depending on my record, I mean, everybody's doing that to us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, everybody's looking, oh, the Bengals, I can't wait to get to the Bengals game. You know, that's that's one we're going to get. So it is, it is. Um, you know, to me, it's it's almost like, on any given Sunday kind of thing, because it's happened. You know, we've had games where how do we lose to that football team? And it's happened. But, yeah, I mean, when you are playing a team down the stretch that has struggled to win football games, you feel like you have a better opportunity to, to get one of your own. I mean, Zach doesn't have a road win yet. He has a tie against Philadelphia. You know, that very elusive road win – Maybe this weekend in, in Washington. That would be good to get off the schneid there, no doubt. Does he need to win a few games in the final seven weeks of the season? Oh, I think so. I think so. You know, it's, um, you know, you just, you, you, you can't continue uh, validation. You, you, can, you can only buy in for so long. Words start to get hollow if there's not validation of, of those words and everything that goes along with them got to get some W's. I Like I said, uh, the one season that sticks out in my mind, we start 0-8. And, and I don't think I've ever worked harder some of those weeks to prepare for a game and have no result. No, like a terrible result. 0-8. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, man. Working too hard 
for no return on, on the investment of the work. There's nothing worse than that. <laughs> There's nothing worse than that. It's like, you know, if we're doing a radio show, prep harder than we've ever prepped to do a good show and come on the air and stink it out for whatever reason, just stink up the joint, you know? It's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, or a, a salesperson that's out there just, you know, going after all kinds of, making cold call after cold call. Can't close a sale to save his life. You know, just gets in one of those, one of those ruts. And um, thing is, that's why you get the big bucks. When you're struggling your job, everybody knows about it because it's the National Football League. And that's why you get paid so handsomely. But man, the bottom line is everybody's human beings with the same human emotions and the same human feelings. Nobody wants to go work as hard as they're working for no good result. It's like, you know, you're, you're still getting your paycheck, but you're not really getting the payday because you're not getting any W's. No payday. They've certainly been close to that payday. The Bengals have taken the lead to the fourth quarter in six of their nine games, including every game they've played outside of the AFC North. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now time for this week's one-on-one player interview. This week, I caught up with Mike Daniels, who has been chosen three times by his peers as one of the top 100 players in the NFL. Mike, about a week ago, you tweeted that you love it here with three smiley face emojis and a who day hashtag. What are you loving? Uh, I really enjoy the locker room. Uh, I enjoy the the fan base. Everybody really supports the team out here and they they, they love they, they love the Bengals. Uh, and Coach Taylor, I really like Coach Taylor, man. He definitely uh, knows how to take care of his players and he, he, he cares about his players. He's a player's coach, and he, he really commands respects in that way. So I, I really I really do enjoy that. And I, I like the guys that management has been bringing in. I, I can't say I really remember looking back and seeing that there's a, there, there's a theme with the guys they're bringing in, and everybody they're bringing in has a tough, hard-nosed demeanor. So that's, that's the kind of guy I am. And I, I, it's always good to be on the same page with uh, with your employer, man. I, I love it. I, I really do. We're chatting with Mike Daniels. Early this season, you messed up your elbow in practice and had to miss a few games. What happened, and how bad was it? I, I believe it was a uh, it was just a strain, and it's really the same injury that knocked me out, put me on IR last year. But this time around, uh, I, I did a really good job. Uh, taking care of it, recover from it pretty well. And I was ready to go in two weeks. Unfortunately, I had to miss uh, three games. But, I, you know, it got taken care of, as we can see on the film. And I'm, and I feel, I'm feeling really good. You've been getting more and more snaps every week. You had a season-high 42 last week against Pittsburgh. Do you feel like you're getting back to being the dominant player that you've always been? Absolutely. And with the more reps, that, that definitely happens. And... I, I really do, I'm really enjoying this process right now. It's, it's tough, but it takes you back to um, a, a good place of humility for more areas of growth. So I definitely feel like I'm getting back to a really good place. And I think I'm in a really good place right now. Definitely progress from the Browns game to the Titans game to last week in Pittsburgh. 
And really the only issue I have is the fact that we we went one and two in that span. And just got to continue to uh, gotta, gotta get some more of those wins. I asked Alex Redman about you last week, and he said hitting Mike Daniels is like hitting a school bus. Is that what you want offensive linemen to think after they spend a day lined up opposite of you? That's absolutely what I want offensive linemen to think. And to come from a guy like Redmond, who hitting him is like hitting a school bus as well. That, that's a that's an awesome compliment. I got to make sure I give him a hug for uh, speaking speaking so highly of me <laughs> by saying that. But but that's definitely what you want. You more than anything, you want the respect from the guys that line up across from you. You can make a whole bunch of plays, but that doesn't necessarily mean you you have the respect, right? So you you really want the respect of your peers and your brothers out there your brothers in arms and your brothers in combat. And that's, uh, that's, that's what it's all about. We're chatting with Mike Daniels. If there was a big positive last week against the Steelers, that was stopping the run 20 carries for 44 yards. Did you look at that as a big step forward despite the final score? That's, that definitely was a step forward. And outside of a couple runs against Tennessee, we did a pretty good job stopping that run as well. So, uh, we've been doing a good job with that in the last few weeks here. We just have to be more consistent with it and everything else will uh, start to follow with that. You're facing Washington this week, led by quarterback Alex Smith, who's made a miraculous recovery after nearly having to have his leg amputated a couple of years ago. If you have a chance to deliver a clean but brutal hit, will his history enter your mind at all? Well, I'm not a dirty player. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, like, go for the head or anything like that right now. Um, there was times where you could grab a quarterback by the legs, but those days are done. So you don't go for their legs anyway. So um, it's just all about playing football and him being the great professional that he is. He's had a lot of success in the NFL. He knows that. I'm not necessarily thinking about where uh, a guy had an injury. I'm just focused on – delivering the best blow and that's in the um waist to uh below the neck area you know just in that core body and that's the uh that, that's football's about that's where you're taught to tackle that's where you're taught to hit and that's where i'll hit mike you're 31 you'll be a free agent at the end of the year do you know at this point if you want to keep playing absolutely i definitely want to keep playing i'm going to keep playing and your wife and kids are on board everybody's on board man we we enjoy football. We enjoy playing it. Well, I enjoy playing it. They enjoy watching me out there. And I want to continue to provide that. All right. I'm going to make a bold prediction for what I now know is the distant future. When you decide to hang it up, you are going to thrive as a broadcaster. Does that interest you? Oh, I, I love speaking. I love being in front of the camera. And I love speaking to people, more importantly. So, absolutely. I definitely look forward into a look forward to getting into doing some form of broadcasting where I can talk to some other guys about football and many other topics too. Like I said, it's the distant future. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Mike, appreciate your time. Best of luck this week. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Look forward to the next time. Mike is due to be a free agent after the season. It would be great if he had a strong second half of the year and worked out a deal to stay in Cincinnati. Now time for our Know the Foe segment. Bram Weinstein, the former ESPN Sports Center anchor, is in his first year as the radio voice of the Washington football team. And he joined Dave Lapham and me this week on the Bengals Game Plan Show. 
program. We'll get to the X's and O's in just a second, but I have to start with this question because it's my fear on Sunday. Have you slipped and said Redskins at all? <laughs> so I put a jar in the booth, and we decided that anyone who says the R word has to put 20 bucks in it. Ooh, 20. We would take, yeah, 20. We've we got to make it worthwhile, and whatever the total is by the end of the year is going to go to a charity that we all agree and decide on. And it hasn't happened once. Wow. How about Not that? once. I've said it. I have a radio show in D.C. and I've said it a million times in the three hours, you know, that we do the radio show here. But something it's turned into somehow it's turned into like, you know, how you can turn your brain off and not say a curse word when you don't when you don't want to. <laughs> right. Somehow we've been able to control it. It has not been said once on one game day broadcast. Yet. It's because you you made the, the figure twenty dollars. Lap and I said we would do one dollar <laughs> this week. Uh, and when it's only it one, you don't really care enough. <laughs> That's right. It has to be worthwhile. But we've uh, we've gotten through it and. Um, you know, the funny part is, and I don't know, I, I would love to hear your experience with this when, cause it's my first year doing this and I wanted to have some kind of touchdown call and I'm limited in what my choices are. <laughs> no name, so it's going to end in Washington, you know, no matter what. And so I think I've just got it trained in my brain over and over and over just to say Washington. That's pretty good. That's real good. So there are a couple of real inspirational stories with this football team. Ron Rivera uh, publicly fighting cancer. That's inspirational. No question about it. And then Alex Smith. Um, What do you say about this guy? They should rename the Comeback Player of the Year Award the Alex Smith Comeback Player of the Year Award. They they, they really should. I mean, the guy has uh, 38 completions. 390 yards against Detroit, both career highs. What do you say about Alex Smith and what he's done? So it's amazing we're talking today about it because this is the two-year anniversary, literally to the day, of when the injury happened against Houston. And it also happens to be the exact anniversary of the date that Joe Theismann broke his leg on Monday Night Football against the Giants, and it ended his career. And one, because both of those things, you know, happened to, you know, almost – arguably two of the best of the maybe five quarterbacks that have come through this organization over that period of time. One, um, it tells you how advanced our medicine and training regimens are now that Alex Smith is playing somehow playing when he almost lost his life. And Joe Seisman's career was definitively over the second that the practically the exact same injury occurred um, back then. So it tells you about progress in the sport and in medicine and in recovery, which is amazing in its own right. Um, And secondarily, to answer your question directly, um, back in the winter and spring when it was pretty clear that he was going to try to give it a go and test his body and come back, there was not one single person in or out of the organization that thought he would play football again. They were all really proud of him, and they thought this was an incredible example to set. And they wanted to keep him around the team, especially with a young quarterback here, for mentorship. But no one thought he would be playing. By the time the summer rolled around and practice, you know, whatever portions of practice we could watch, and I'm sure you went through the same thing with the Bengals there um, because of the COVID protocols, it became pretty clear, at least to me, that if they actually gave him an opportunity to compete for the job, he would have had the opportunity to win it. They chose not to do that. Like, they wanted Dwayne Haskins to win the job. They wanted a clear path for him. They brought in no particular competition for him, and they did not think Alex Smith was going to be in his way. Um, anyone who's seen the documentary of called Project 11 about Alex Smith, 
Um, you can't unsee what you see there. Um, he nearly lost his life. Mm-hmm. They almost removed his leg. He had a flesh-eating bacteria that you can't unsee if you see it. And um, there's part of me, and I think a lot of us that go, okay, we appreciate you're proving a point. Why do you have to run away from Fletcher Cox? Why don't you just go run an Ironman or be in the <laughs> of France or do something like that? But he's done this, and then all of a sudden, in the last two weeks, he's had – back-to-back 300-plus-yard passing games, one in relief, having had no snaps with first-teamers at all since this, you know, since this recovery began. And it truly is an inspirational and amazing story. And he also just happens to be the type of person you want in your locker room, um, whether he's your quarterback or your backup or someone who just works in the organization. So this is beyond an inspirational thing that's occurring here. Bram, before the injury, Alex Smith was one of the most mobile quarterbacks in the NFL. How's his mobility now? It's not the same. Um, he is able to move. He is able, you know, he uses his acumen and skill to get out of trouble and get out of the pocket. But he has not, you know, he, he used to run. I mean, he was one of the original run-pass option type quarterbacks because you could do that with him. We haven't seen a lot of that yet, and I don't get the sense at all that he is interested in trying to figure out if he can do that. And Washington is going out of its way to try to protect him as much as possible, Um, not because they don't think it's unsafe for him to play. They believe that his leg is safe, but I think they know that his body cannot handle that level of mobility. And really the big unanswered question here is now that he's the starter, at least while they're in it's a playoff race because of their division, at least while they're in that, um, that we don't know how long he can physically handle this. Like, can he really do this? This is a beware of what you wish for. Like, he wanted to come back, prove something to himself or whoever else. Well, it happened, and now we're asking him to do this for seven, eight, nine weeks. And I don't think anyone knows the answer to whether his body can physically handle that. Well, I guess a good way to help him would be everybody else step up in the running game. What's the status of the running game in Washington? Very poor, um, very erratic. Um, there are a couple problems here. One, they have not scored first in any game they've played. They have been down by double digits in almost every game they've played in the first half with the absence of Dallas, who was came in here completely in inept a situation. Um, outside of that, they've been behind in every game they play, and so they end up getting away from the running game. They have problems along their offensive line. They've got a lot of injuries that may manifest themselves in a real tough way this weekend. It happened last week against Detroit, but Morgan Moses, who's their right tackle, had to move to left tackle at the end of the game because of injuries to both Jaron Christian and his backup Cornelius Lucas, and that may stay that way this week. So we're not sure how that's going to play out. And the running backs, J.D. McKissick is outstanding out of the backfield as a almost traditional receiving back. He will get some handoffs, but he's never going to be a full workload type running back. Antonio Gibson is the rookie they're really excited about, the third-round pick, and he's been outstanding for them. But he's transitioning to playing running back. He took maybe 33 snaps as a lead back and was mainly used as a wide receiver. They're using him in both roles, but out of the backfield. So he's really learning how to be a running back. Um, So couple the two problems together. They get behind in every game that they're in, which forces them to throw the ball to try to come back a lot more. And they have inexperience and injuries across their offensive line. And what you'll see are results that don't look very good on the whole for the running game. A couple more questions for the radio voice of the Redskins, Bram Weinstein. There's a lot of interest here, obviously, in former Ohio State Buckeye Chase Young, the second pick in the draft. There were some that thought the Bengals should have 
taken him uh, or traded down and, and tried to take him in order to get more draft capital. How is Chase Young doing in his rookie year? You have to put twenty bucks in the jar because I heard you say the R word. So Did I really? It's only a dollar on our end. <laughs> well, I'll hold you that. He's been um, he's been great. He's been everything Bill has advertised. Um, he's a monster. Uh, he is. You'll get one look at him and you'll go, man. I wish that dude was on my team. So he could be a game changing type player for them. Now, last week um, he owes them one because the reason why Detroit won in regulation and it didn't get to overtime was a very bad late roughing the passer call that was completely unnecessary that gave Detroit a shot on a 59-yard field goal. Otherwise, they would have been playing in overtime after a major comeback against them a week ago. So that one's a little bit on him. Other than that, he is typically getting double and triple teamed because you cannot block him one-on-one. He's got a lot of energy. And I think what we like most about him here, he's humble. Um, he's a team player. He talks work ethic. He wants to get better. He wants to be coached. He's one of those first in, last out type of guys. And there's nothing better than when the best athlete on the field, and it's clear that he's the best athlete on the field, um, wants to be that way. And he's also walked into a really good situation here. Like, they have five first-round picks on their defensive line, most of which are young. And, yeah, unfortunately, Matt Ioannidis got hurt for them is missing the season. He might have been their best interior defensive lineman. Had he been there as well, they would have been even more effective. But they've spent first-round picks in the last four years on two interior defensive linemen and two uh, rush ends all of which are performing pretty well. It is by far the strength of the team. So they're not asking him to do this as a lone wolf. Um, Collectively, it is their strength. Surprisingly, um, the trouble that they've had the last couple of weeks, last month, is their run defense. So even, I don't know what Joe Mixon's situation is, but even backup running backs for the Giants were having um, an easy time moving the ball on the ground against Washington. And that's something that we hope is going to be rectified. But Young in itself, we look at him and we go, this could be our Khalil Mack or our J.J. Watt. You mentioned uh, built the defensive line through the draft. Secondary was done in free agency. I mean, overhaul the secondary in free agency. And Jack Del Rio, who I have a lot of respect for, it's put together a pretty good, uh, pretty good scheme. It looks like. I mean, number one in the NFL against the pass, fifth and first downs allowed, top ten in, you know, multiple categories. Is is Del Rio? Is um, he made that big an impact? Uh, Do the numbers justify the way they've been playing? No, they really actually don't, and they're actually they're they're deceptive. Um, like last week, you can go if you go look at the box score of the game against the Lions, you will not understand how Washington lost. They ran. Almost 30 more plays, had 12, 13 more minutes time of possession. Like every metric you would look at, and they only turned the ball over once. So every metric you would look at, you'd go, I don't know how they lost that game. The Lions, it's deceptive. The Lions were able to move the ball so quickly and efficiently against their defense, the time of possession looks skewed that way. It's happened against the Giants twice, too, over the last month. Um, I don't want to sit here and say that they're, you know, that they're bad. They're not. Like they're clearly an above average group Uh, but it's deceptive when you see these stats and say they're number one at this or number one at that their record shows you that their defense is not as effective um, as as those stats might suggest and they do have a lot of work to do and as I mentioned before like the big surprise around here is is teams that aren't great running teams are running the ball on them pretty easily Hmm. they haven't caused a turnover in a few weeks 
Um, they're not getting anywhere near the sack totals that they got. They're having trouble getting pressure with their front four, which should be the thing they hang their hat on. So there's a lot of room for improvement. They're not bad, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. But maybe the bar was just set a little too high because we're expecting them to be top 10 in every way, eye test and statistical test. And they're not meeting that. And they've had a couple of injuries. And the other part for them that I think would be a concern against Cincinnati um, is they've given up a ton of deep balls, a ton. Um, when Landon Collins was in there, it was problematic. Even as he's injured, it's been problematic. They have made numerous changes at the safety position. One of the guys who became kind of the main replacement to Shazer Everett may not be playing this weekend. They've been beaten over the top over and over and over by teams that are capable of it, and that's a concern this weekend too. The number that blows my mind, they forced 11 fumbles and recovered one. That's almost yeah. impossible. They're I'm, a little unlucky. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They're a little unlucky that way. Um, you'll see it. It's, it's interesting. Like, there will be periods of the game. This happens every week. I, I describe them as inconsistent. Like, there are periods where you'll watch them and you're like, oh, my. Like, they're electric. You're like, oh, my. You can't block them. And then there are periods where you just walk right through them, and it's as if it's a completely different team. And we just quite can't figure out what's going on here. This is extremely resilient. They come back in every game. The results are close. They could very easily have a very different record right now. And I bet you probably could say the same thing. Oh, Sounds familiar. Yeah. Sounds <laughs> familiar. We're both bobbing our heads like bobbing he- right. bobbing the dolls. Because, well, like, I remember we, we played Cleveland early in the year, and I watched the Thursday night game where Burrow threw 27 fourth-quarter passes or whatever that was to get them back into it. And I think you all know that the record probably, and I haven't watched enough really the Bengals yet, but I'm pretty certain I'm going to see the same thing, that their record could be different. You, you could say the same thing about Washington. You'll watch them in the first half and you'll go, that team didn't show up or they weren't prepared or whatever it is. And then the second half you'll go, I can't believe they're practic- they look unstoppable at times. So they're very inconsistent. There's a lot going on here. They're a young team. They got a new coach. They do believe in this coach. Uh, as you mentioned with Ron Rivera, there was a lot going on there with his health. Um, he was not as available as he would have liked to have been, but he fought through it. His chemotherapy rounds, the regimen's done for now. He said the bye week hit at the right time for him personally. So he's more engaged and more available to the team. And this is a process for them, and they're selling it as a process. The tough part's been, I think, you know, we all think around here, especially with the defensive talent that they have, that the record could be a little better than it is. And so they're looking for a couple of results to kind of validate, you know, the process they're going through, as you all are probably going through the same thing there. Don't forget to tune into the Bengals pep rally show this Friday afternoon on ESPN 1530. We're on a half hour earlier than usual this week, 2.30 to 5.30. And our guests include the great Greg Cosell from NFL Films. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.